Good morning. Our Old Testament reading today is Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, on page 1765 in your pew Bibles. Now, if you, let us have a prayer of elimination. Heavenly Father, in your word you tell us that unless you build the house, the workers labor in vain. So, in this time together, as we gather around your word, may you build this house. By your Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see, ears to hear what you want us to hear, see and hear. And open our hearts so that we may be transformed at the reading of your holy word. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Isaiah 42, 1-4 through 4. Behold my servant... Whom I uphold my chosen, in in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Well, I didn't, I I bet you didn't know you were going to have a quiz this morning. We are uh, starting a a brief series on intergenerational ministry. You know, one of our, uh, one of our values is that we believe God has called us in particular to uh, be doing ministry and be doing life together across the generations, not not taking some of the, the younger crowd and um, sending them off on a Sunday morning or sending them off on, on different things, but actually to do ministry together uh, as one body. And so I have, a, I have a quiz. This is the Are You a Millennial quiz, okay? <clears throat> Are you ready for this? Okay, so Are You a Millennial? You are if you were born between 71 and 87, 91 and 2007, or is it 81 and 97? Which one? Anybody know? I think I'm hearing, I'm hearing it from somebody. 81 and 97. You're a millennial if you're born between 81 and 97. Fun fact, Justin Bieber, Rihanna, and Mark Zuckerberg are all millennials. Uh, Kanye West, however, is not. CNN headline says, when it comes to marriage, millennials are saying, the earlier the better. I don't. Let's elope instead. Which one? I don't. I don't. Actually, according to CNN, today's young adults are on track to have the lowest rates of marriage by age 40 compared to any other generation. Okay, here's another, here's another good one. All right, we're going to do this one by show of hands. Okay, what percentage of millennials have a tattoo? Raise your hand if you, when I say it, raise your hand if you think, okay, how many of you think, let's start at 40%. How many of you think 40% of millennials have a tattoo? Got one here. Okay, what about 50%? 60%. What about all of them? <laughs> How many of you think all of them have a tattoo? There we go. There we go. 40%. 40% is actually the answer of millennials that have a tattoo and will admit it. <clears throat> okay, last one. Millennials are actually 
more religious than their parents. True or false? False. You got that one right. In fact, studies are showing that millennials are the least religious generation in U.S. history, and about a quarter aren't affiliated with any religion at all. So I I hope what we're hearing in this is, is that generations are different. Seems very simple, seems very, you know, very easy, but it's true. Generations are different. Every generation has different history, they have different culture, they have different values. And then what happens is on a Sunday morning, when we all come here together, and if we're doing things intergenerationally like we are, we bring each of those culture, the history, the values, we bring all of that in here with us on a Sunday morning. And so there is a temptation... There is a temptation to let our own generation's values begin to take priority over Jesus' priorities, right? These differences in generations, they're not necessarily bad, but there is a temptation to make what we think is important higher up than what Jesus thinks is important. And you can hear that in the way that we talk about each other, can't you? So millennials, what do people say about millennials? They have no work ethic. They don't have jobs, they don't have skills, but they do have a lot of expenses and spend a lot of time on Instagram, right? Isn't that what people say? <clears throat> well, you know what people say about Generation X? They are negative, they're cynics, and they, nobody can get along with them. And what do people say about boomers? Workaholics, out of touch with the times, traditionalists, can't change, always talking about the good old days, right? You can hear what can start to happen when these differences in our generations become divisive. But it makes sense. We wear different clothes. We, we, in some ways, we speak a different language. Have any of you all heard on fleek? I don't know what that means. And some of the other kids maybe don't know what skedaddle means or yuppies. What's a yuppie, right? Different cultures have different ways of using language. Different cultures enjoy different music. Different cultures are going about politics in a different way. And so the question is, the question is, how will we get beyond these kinds of differences? So we're going to look at a passage today with some people who had to face that same type of decision of how they were going to get beyond these, uh, some of these differences. So we're going to read in Matthew 12, Matthew 12, starting in verse 1, page 1037 in your pew Bibles. Matthew 12, starting in verse 1, but before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be with us, that you would uh, guide us. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts through your word. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Matthew 12, starting in verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him? How they entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. 
He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So right off the bat in our passage, we see Jesus' disciples walking through the field, and they're hungry. And so they're at the edge of the field, obviously, because that's where the, the grain would be that anyone can pluck from. And so they pluck some, and they start to eat. The only problem is, what day is it? It's the Sabbath. So in there, uh, for, for Jew, people who are Jewish, the Sabbath starts on Friday evening, goes on until Saturday when the sun sets again. So that's their Sabbath. And so they're walking through on the Sabbath, and there's a commandment that says something about the Sabbath. Don't do what? Work. work. Don't work on the Sabbath. Six days you shall work, and on the seventh you shall have rest. Right? So <clears throat> they're walking through, and they pluck the head off a piece of grain, rub it in their hands, and they eat it. And the Pharisees say, hold the phone. Now, do you know why they do that? (laughs) Jews love the Sabbath. They love the Sabbath. In fact, they would look and they would talk about the, the commandments that God had given them. And they would sit and they would talk about it and they would talk about it and they would talk about it. One rabbi has said that in the law of the Sabbath is the essence of Judaism. It says that it's a memorial to the work of creation, of going out of Egypt. It's about surrender to the creator. It's a day of regeneration. We could agree with a lot of those things, probably. They loved the Sabbath, and many of them still do. They loved the Sabbath. And what they would do, and they start in that good place, right? They love the Sabbath. They love God's law. They start in a good place. And then they start to talk about it. And they say, well, the, the, you know, God says not to work. So what is work? I don't want to break God's law, so what is work? And so they sit down and they start talking. And they keep talking. And they keep talking. And about 800 pages later, you have all kinds of laws and rules and regulations and discussions and This rabbi argues with this rabbi, and this one argues with this one over what is considered to be work. And there are other things in here as well about rules for the Sabbath. They started in a good place, but then they just started to add and to add and to add until it took over. And it became so important to them became so important to them that they couldn't see the value of anything else. So what did they do? What should they have done to get beyond that? Well, Jesus instructs them. And he says, haven't you read what David did when he was hungry? Of course they read it. Haven't you read it? And he he says, those who were with him, they went into the house of God, they ate the bread of presence, which according to this was not lawful for them to eat, right? It was only supposed to be for the priests, So he starts off by giving them one of their Old Testament heroes, by one of the heroes of the nation, saying, look, David went in and he ate because he was hungry and there was no other food. There was no place for him to get it. And then he goes on and he says, on the Sabbath, the priests work all day. 
They work hard. And they work all day on the Sabbath. They're working. So what's the deal? And then he goes on to tell them, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And I think the point of this part is that we have to understand that we have to interpret Scripture correctly. If we want to get past some of these divisions that can come, where we start in a good place, we start in a good place of saying something like, we want to honor God. Wear your, wear your Sunday best, right? That's how I grew up. We want to honor God. Wear your Sunday best. Okay, that's great. Starting in a good place, that's okay. I like to wear a suit. I like to wear a tie. This is about the only day that I do it. But I enjoy it. But we can go too far to where that difference can separate us. And Jesus is saying, read Scripture correctly. Interpret the Scripture correctly. Be very careful to determine what is a tradition and a preference and what is a scriptural mandate. Because let me tell you, I know a family and um, known them for a few years. Excuse me. And I invited them to church quite a bit and, and, you know, hey guys, we'd love to have you join us. Come on, come on, come on. They came, you know, two or three times, and, but not very much. And I finally, I was talking to the mom, and, and uh, she said, you know, uh, I'll be honest with you. She said, we don't really make a lot of money, and we don't really have nice clothes. And when we come to your church, people are nice, but we don't feel, we don't feel like we should be there, and we don't feel like we can fit, and we don't feel like our clothes are nice enough for us to be there. Guys, that, that hurt me. That hurt to hear that from them. And now I know that if any one of you were talking to them in that same time, you would have said, no, of course not. Just come. Just be here. We want you. We love you. Come. Just be here. But if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can, we can let those kinds of things get away from us. We could find ourselves saying, well, you know what, Let me, let's, go find, let's go find some clothes so that it's nice enough. Let's go find something instead of come, come, be here. Just be with us. Honor God with what you have. Wear what you have and come and be here and worship God together. Okay? But if we don't interpret Scripture correctly, we're not going to do that. If we don't interpret Scripture correctly then we're going to let these, some of these generational differences get in the way. Because one generation looks at clothes and they say, wear your Sunday best to honor God, which is good, that's fine. But then another generation looks at clothing and says, does God really care whether I wear a tie or a t-shirt? That's a good question too. It's fine to dress well. I'm glad that we do oftentimes. But does it threaten the integrity of Scripture if I choose to wear a tuxedo or a t-shirt? Does God feel threatened by it? Do you think he's upset about it? That's the whole, one of the whole points about what Paul's talking about in Romans 7, right? You're dead to the law. You're dead to it. Don't go back to it. Don't start piling things on. Anybody had shellfish lately? Shrimp, crab, it's wonderful. We're dead to the law. Leviticus says, don't eat that stuff, right? We're dead to the law. Don't go back to it. Paul says in Galatians 1, if somebody comes and preaches a gospel other than grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, right? If anybody comes and preaches another gospel, even if it's an angel, let him be accursed. We can't go back to that law. We have to interpret Scripture correctly. 
to see what has been done in Christ and to see that we have been freed from that. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He says there is, and this is, this is that same passage where Jesus is speaking. There is far more at stake here than religion. If you had any idea what this scripture meant, I prefer a flexible heart to an inflexible ritual. You wouldn't be nitpicking like this. I love that. If I, I prefer a flexible heart to an inflexible ritual. It's not, the, it's not the ritual in itself. It's not the, the generational difference in itself that's bad. It's when we take that and we make it inflexible and we say, this is more important than this person sitting next to me. And so we have to interpret Scripture correctly on that point. And these Pharisees didn't. And so they set up another confrontation. In verse 9, Jesus goes on and enters the, the synagogue. And there's a man there with a withered hand and they ask him so that they could accuse him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Do you know why they're asking that? Because they talked about what is work, and they said, well, is it, is it work to heal someone on the Sabbath? <coughs> they put that in there too. And what Jesus, I think, is saying with his hypothetical situation is he, he starts giving them this scenario. What if you have a sheep and it falls into a pit? Are you just going to stand there and say, sorry, sheep, I hope you survive until tomorrow? No, you're going to pull that out. Well, what if it's a kid? Who falls in the pit? Are you going to say, sorry, kid, hope you're still alive tomorrow. I'd pull you out, but it's work. (laughs) It sounds ridiculous. It sounds ridiculous. But Jesus is saying, look at the situation. Look at what's going on around you. Isn't it more important? Aren't people more important than our traditions? Aren't people more important than our cultural, our generational distinctives? Aren't they more important? And so he tells that story. And so imagine, because I know a lot of us probably don't walk around and have one of our sheep fall into a pit. At least I don't. <clears throat> so imagine, though. Imagine you're sitting, you're sitting down on a Sunday morning. It's been great. The choir's awesome, like they always are. You've been going. You're worshiping God. You feel the Holy Spirit work. And then you hear it. Or you hear the... No, mommy, I don't want to. Right? It's probably my kids. <clears throat> and you hear it, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is the fourth week in a row. I can't believe this is happening again. And you start getting frustrated. You start getting irritated. And then you, then you look back, and you give the look. You know the look. I've given the look. You've given the, the oh, aren't they sweet? Do you want to take them out of here? Oh, isn't that nice? Could you, could you quiet them down? Do you want a sucker? Can I give him a sucker? That'll, maybe that'll, right? And what happens is if we're not interpreting the situation, we might miss something. <clears throat> maybe it's a single mom. Maybe she got in her car and drove a thousand miles to get away from an abusive husband. Maybe this is as far as she could get. Maybe she showed up in church for four weeks in a row to ask God for help and to be somewhere that she finally felt safe. Now what happens? What happens if we don't interpret that situation correctly? And it's hard, and I know it's hard. Because I'm a good Presbyterian. I love to do things decently and in order. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I believe we should pay attention to what's going on in the service, right? But what happens if I make my attention span more important 
than this woman and her children. What happens? What do we do? We have to interpret the situation correctly, and we have to ask God for his wisdom to do all of these things, to interpret the scripture correctly, to interpret the situation correctly. The number one thing that we have to do is we have to focus on Jesus. That's essentially what he's saying in verses 6 through 8. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And then he goes on to say, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Do you know what that means? That means Jesus is better than our traditions. Jesus is better than our rules. Jesus is better than our own generational distinctives. Jesus is more important than things that we sometimes think are the most important. When we try to make our own values and we try to make our own preferences, when we try to make that what's most important, did you know what we're trying to do? We're trying to say, Jesus, I know you said you're the Lord of the Sabbath, but why don't you step aside for just a minute and let me try it out for a while? Do you really want to do that? I'm not talking about the clear teachings of Scripture. And I'm not saying that our preferences are wrong. I'm saying we can't put them in the Lord's place. We can't start focusing more on them than we focus on Jesus. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He is greater than the temple. He's greater than this church. And I don't want to be the Lord of the Sabbath. You know what I see? I see him say that he's the Lord of the Sabbath, and then he goes on and he proves it by healing the man's hand. I look back a little bit, and I see him saying, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Don't you think this should be a place of rest? Wouldn't it be nice? You know, you hear people, Ah, I just... You know, I would go to church, but it's Sunday morning. It's my only day to rest. Rest here. What if this was a place of rest? Shouldn't it be? Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Don't you love that in an era where everybody is pushing themselves up, propping themselves up, saying, I'm the best, I'm the smartest, I'm the greatest. And Jesus says, come to me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we've got to stop adding to it. We can't add to it. Take the easy yoke. Take the light burden. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one who won't put someone down for what they eat, what they wear, what they make, the way they talk, the education they do or they don't have or how they parent or all these things. That's what that Old Testament passage we read, that's what they mean. That, that means. He's not going to break a bruised reed They're already bruised. They're already hurting. He wants to heal them. He's not going to snuff out a smoldering wick, that person that shows up and they're just barely hanging on to their faith. They're just barely hanging on to their day. He's not going to blow it out. That's who Jesus is. That is our Lord of the Sabbath. And you know, millennials and younger generations, they are leaving the church more than any other generation in the history of our country. And do you know why? Because they can't see Jesus. Why not? People in this world are dying without the gospel because they can't see Jesus in our churches. Now, I happen to think we do a really good job here. You guys are some of the most loving and kind and welcoming people I've ever met. But we have to cut this off before we start going that way. Because for intergenerational ministry, there are going to be all these differences And we've got to cut it off. 
So we have to ask that question. Why can't people see Jesus in the church? Can they see Jesus in our church? Now, maybe some of them aren't looking. But for those who are looking, shouldn't we be pointing each other to Jesus? That's why I think we have to ruthlessly eliminate anything that we see that would keep those who are lost from seeing Jesus. In this place, they will see Jesus. In us, they will see Jesus. In the way we treat each other, in the way we love each other, in the way we talk about each other, they must see Jesus. <clears throat> pastor named Jeff Vanderstelt, he says, Jesus is better than any strategy. He is more faithful than your promises. He is more able to bring real, lasting, heart-level change. He is the greatest missionary ever. Jesus is better. He's better than you. He's better than your small group. He's better than your pastor. He's better than anyone or anything else. We all need the better Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. For he did better than us. He does better than us. And he will make everything better than we ever could. We are here for Jesus. This is his church. We are his people. This is his day. And we have to worship him and not any man-made rules. We have to believe that passionately across all ages. Every one of us, no matter how old, we have to focus on Jesus and not let some of these things that our generation loves become more important than him. And as we continue on in intergenerational ministry, we are going to come up against some of these challenges. Worshiping people downstairs, coming and worshiping up here sometimes. You You might hear a gospel band. You might hear an organ. You might hear an electric guitar. We might wear a suit and tie. Ladies might wear a nice dress. Or you might see someone in t-shirt, jeans, and a backwards hat. I'm not saying one of these things is more or less scriptural than the other, I'm saying that there are differences in our generations and the way that we operate, and they will challenge us, and so we have to decide, how will we respond? Do you know how the Pharisees responded? Look at verse 14. After all these things, it says, the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. That is certainly not what God has called us to. Certainly not what God has called us to. And the only way to avoid that is we have to focus on Jesus. Interpret scripture correctly. Interpret the situation correctly. And always, always, always focus on Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you that you are better. Jesus, you are better. Holy Spirit, you are better. Would you work that deep, deep, deep down into our hearts and into our lives that in everything we do and everyone we meet, they would know you above all else. In Jesus' name we pray.